This morning's topic is geek church. If I was to turn that phrase around, start talking about church geeks, you probably wouldn't have to think too hard about what I meant. A church geek would be someone who was just really into their faith. They don't have to be street preachers or door-to-door missionaries, just somebody who studies the history of their church, maybe really likes the style of church buildings, someone who is just very into serious, deep readings of their chosen holy book. There are religion geeks out there, just as there are science geeks and math geeks and all sorts of geeks. But the way I'm going to use the word geek today, is, and is, is used more and more often these days, is to describe a certain culture. If you watch Bing Bang Theory at all, you know that the main characters aren't just geeky for their abilities to do some very intellectual things in some very intellectual fields. They're also geeky for what they do for fun. The t-shirts they wear, the trivial knowledges they have, the games they play. And that's where the area I'm headed to for today's talk about Geek Church. You haven't figured that out already. I've joked with my wife for many years about the Grand Prairie Movie Theater being my church of choice. <laughs> and if pressed, I could probably make a case for throwing in things like popcorn and coke as being the communion and et cetera. But that's not, that's not really Geek Church. Geek Church is the place you wind up when you go beyond liking certain writings, be they in books or movie scripts or even games, to making them change your life, change what you do and the world around you. It happened with writings about fellows like Jesus, Muhammad, and Buddha thousands of years ago. And a thousand years from now, you have to wonder, will it be happening with one of today's more storied figures? When we've had 2,000 years to let Trekkies get more serious and ritualized, are they going to be like the Catholic Church? (laughs) So then when you start reversing that thought and go, okay, the old religions we have now, were they kind of ancient fandoms with fan club rituals that were just entrenched over generations? And when does something become a religion? What's the tipping point? How do we know when you go from being Scientology, the Ron L. Hubbard fan club, to Scientology, the religion? Well, one benchmark might be when the atheists start coming out against you. (laughs) As much as the atheists enjoy a world without religion, we wouldn't have the concept of atheism without a religion existing for them to go, not that, to. So having the atheists come out against you is probably a good sign that you're on your way to a religion. So who did the atheists of Australia come out against this month? Well, it turns out they came out against the Jedi, the religion of Star Wars. Australian atheists recently started a campaign to get people to quit marking their religion as Jedi on the census forms. Their argument reads like this. If old religious men in robes do not represent you, don't mark yourself as Jedi. Jedi and other joke religions are not placed in the no religion category, but in not defined. This makes Australia seem more religious than it really is. (laughs) Data on religious affiliation is used for public policy, city planning, community support facilities, and more. Not religious anymore? 
Mark, no religion on the 2016 census. Now, personally, I find that a little offensive. <laughs> Maybe we want to have public funds to build Jedi temples in Australia. <laughs> For someone to say, I don't believe in your particular religion is one thing, but to say, your religion is a joke religion. Well, that's, you know, get serious, get a real religion. That's, that's not good. Because sure, there are some people that see Jedi on the census form and go, hee hee, Star Wars, I'm checking that. But I bet there are a lot of people out there that go, yeah, the Force, I'm into that. That's, that's my belief system. Because I'm, I've met those people. And, you know, the Australian atheists don't get to decide what a religion is and what it isn't. And who's a jokester and who's not. Because if atheists decided what was a religion and wasn't a religion, we wouldn't have any religions at all. <laughs> so, if it seems I'm getting a little worked up on the Jedi side of this argument, there's a reason for that. I'm not an atheist, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of Star Wars. I'm a fan of Star Trek. I'm a fan of Firefly. Doctor Who, James Bond, Spider-Man, Sherlock Holmes, Superman, Zorro, the Scarlet Pimpernel, Moonlighting, Jack Reacher, Buckaroo Banzai, Princess Pride, Doc Savage, Flash, Derek Flint, Babylon 5, and that's just my starter list. Like a lot of Unitarian Universalists, I attended a different church when I was a boy. My parents took me to the United Methodist Church of Fairfield, Illinois every Sunday. But as I started developing my own personality, something started to happen. I remember a project we had in confirmation class to create a collage expressing some aspect of our faith. And during that class, I got my hands on some pictures from Planet of the Apes. <laughs> I'm not going to claim that my religion in junior high was entirely based on Planet of the Apes, but those pictures were meaningful to me. They said spoke to me in a way that was stronger than anything else I could choose from in our Sunday school materials. And what they were doing in there, I don't know, but they were there. So I had to make up a story about God using evolution to create man to keep our teacher happy. And you could still get away with that in the 70s a little bit. We were a little more progressive even in Southern Illinois. But my journey in mixing pulp culture into religion had begun. During my high school years, when many a troubled teen turns to Jesus for answers, I was seriously studying the philosophies of Mr. Spock and Kwai Chang Kane from TV shows Star Trek and Kung Fu. And I found both help and comfort in those philosophies. Midway through my, star my college years, Star Wars showed up in theaters and I saw the movie 32 times that summer. <laughs> now, Australian atheists can say what they want, but you don't see a movie 32 times without coming away with some religious fervor. <laughs> that summer, I was a Star Wars evangelist. I'd go up and, haven't seen Star Wars yet? Well, come on, we're going to the Rialto Theater. I have something that will change your life. <laughs> Religion has to have its evangelists, and fans tend to be evangelists. The word fan, of course, is short for fanatic, and we are an excitable people about our sacred texts. Last month, for example, I had the opportunity to do a summer service at the UU Church in Bloomington. And I spoke to them on a subject I've talked about here many summers ago, Sherlock Holmes. He's over here. I'm a big Sherlock Holmes fan. And 
In that talk, I propose that the book I've got sitting under the chime over there, The Complete Sherlock Holmes, is my holy book of choice. It's a very geeky subject, and one of the things I've enjoyed about our summer service is that I've had the chance in the last few years to talk about some very fanish topics and the deeper meanings that they have in our lives. I've had the chance to speak on Sherlock Holmes, of course, and Star Wars, and I have to say, getting to talk about Darth Vader on Father's Day was a whole lot of fun for me. <laughs> One time we did teddy bears, last year it was zombies, but this year I thought, well, why not talk about all of those things? Geek culture, movies, TV, comic books, video games, science fiction, fantasy, superhero, tabletop gaming, horror, there are just so many geeky ways we entertain ourselves, and they've all grown mightily in popularity in the last decade or so. They've always been important in the lives of many of us, and it's kind of strange to see them catching on so much. Things that were once seen as the province of children are now being held onto long into the adult years by so many. Just go out in the evening and see how many adults are out there catching Pokemon. I've been out there. You go to the parks, it's amazing. Down the riverfront. Those adults grew up catching Pokemon in the imaginary world of their Game Boys, and now somebody gave them a way to catch them in the real world on their phones. And, you know, the adults are the ones that have phones. This weekend, there's a new cartoon out, but it's an R-rated cartoon that no child should ever be allowed to see. It's called Sausage Party. This isn't some college cult film that's being shown at midnight. It's an actual major release, just like a certain red spandex, foul-mouthed, R-rated superhero we had earlier in the year. <laughs> Cartoons and superheroes aren't just the realm of kids anymore. And if adults are getting into something at an adult level, it usually means they're finding an adult level of meaning there. It's not just nostalgia for when they were kids. So. Let me take this a step further about finding meaning in such things. I would propose that what are traditionally thought of as geek subjects can take on a religious significance in a, our more secular world. And why not? When I was a kid, the first superheroes you tended to learn about were Bible heroes. Samson and his super strength that went away if you cut his hair, Joshua and his super horn that could blow down walls, and there was always Jesus with his walking on water and food-producing powers. Superhero stories like that were impressive to kids, and when you're little, in a world of giants, superpowers are a very cool thing. But they introduce kids to these larger stories that they can build their lives on and will build their lives on. These days, when most kids learn about Batman and Spider-Man before Samson and Joshua, they might be growing up with things that they can build on like that. Because, I mean, you look at the Spider-Man movies. One of the things that they always drive home in the Spider-Man comics and movies is what Peter Parker learned from his Uncle Ben. With great power comes great responsibility. If you have special talents, you have a responsibility to use them to help your fellow man. Maybe we can't all swing from buildings on webs or dodge bullets, but we all have things we can do pretty well. And using them to do for others, that's a good thing. That's the parable of Spider-Man. And 
also Superman and many a superhero. Personally, I'd argue that Batman is another case entirely, and not someone you'd want to model yourself after, but I know he has his fans, and that's a very debatable topic. <laughs> but that's, that's a debate we should have, because Batman is a parable as well. Every geeky thing you can think of, from Star Trek, The Walking Dead, Sailor Moon, it, they all have stories behind them. And stories, as you would say in a more religious setting, are parables. They teach us things. They give us things. And we have, right now, we have more legends, stories, parables, if you will, at our fingertips than at any other time in the human race's history. You aren't stuck in a little house in the middle of a prairie with just the Bible to get your lessons from. We hear of trends today where people are claiming to be less religious, but still spiritual, which angers some very religious people in traditional faiths because they think you can't have spirituality without the teachings of their particular religion. And they're right in a way. Spirituality doesn't come out of thin air. It doesn't just come from one source either, as our Unitarian Universalist six sources remind us. You can, you know, get it from nature, you can get it from, you know, all the places in the list of the six sources, which I can't remember offhand, but <laughs> there is one I wrote down because I'm personally fond of it. Words and deeds of prophetic men and women and men which challenge us to confront powers and structures of evil with justice, compassion, and the transforming power of love. It doesn't say ancient prophetic women and men, allowing that the vision of modern writers and artists might have worth. It also doesn't say non-fictional women and men. You can find spirituality in all sorts of places. Some of us found it when Luke Skywalker heard a little voice in his head that said, use the force, Luke. Some of us found it when James T. Kirk spoke of a mission to boldly go where no man had gone before. There was a spirit to be found when the three musketeers shouted, all for one and one for all. And there's also a spirit to be found when a high school girl in the state of Washington thinks, about three things I was absolutely positive. First, Edward was a vampire. <laughs> Second, there was a part of him that thirsted for my blood. And third, I was unconditionally and irrevocably in love with him. <laughs> yes, that last one is from the Twilight books, if you were wondering, but... It's not one of my big favorites, but just like you don't get to choose other people's religions, you don't get to choose their fandoms. And remember that part about the transforming power of love in the UU source? Well, that's totally Twilight. <laughs> but with any up-and-coming religion, being a true believer isn't easy. You can't hear it in my voice, but when I wrote these words, true believer, they had capital letters on them because that's the way Stan Lee used to write them in the editorials in Marvel Comics back in the 60s. Does anybody, everybody recognize who Stan Lee is at this point? Oh yes, he's in movies now, you see him. But back in the 60s, you only knew Stan Lee one way, and that was you had to read Marvel Comics, where Stan and artists like Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko created Spider-Man, Iron Man, The Avengers, X-Men, The Hulk, Fantastic Four, that lengthy list of characters that's making billions of dollars for the movie industry right now. And Stan knew who his readers were when he wrote those editorials in the comics. The true believers, the geeks. 
Now, the Avengers movies are some of the biggest box office films of all time right now. And being someone who enjoys all of those Stan Lee characters isn't all that unusual. Not everyone who buys a ticket these days would admit to being one of Stan's true believers, or a geek. Because what makes being both a true believer and a true geek is loving something so much that it takes your behavior out of the norm. You love the movie Spaceballs so much that you build a dark helmet costume and accidentally bump people off the sidewalks with your giant helmet and it's not even, thanks, not even Halloween. <laughs> you drive hours to find a little rural church in Texas and sit through the Sunday service there just because it reminds you of the church on the TV show Preacher. Those are not normal things to do. Those are very geeky things to do. It's kind of a chicken and the egg argument to wonder about which comes first. Being outside the norm and being a geek, or getting into geekdom and wandering outside the norm. Some of us were just destined to be a little weird and finding a place among those who are also weird suits us just fine. But the other thing about the church of geekdom that is worth bringing up is the sense of community that exists within every fandom. There is no greater joy than seeing a true believer in one of these fandoms, you, any fandom you care to name, attending their first con. To see the joy in their face when they go from being the one girl in Kiwani, Illinois, who likes writing stories about Benedict Cumberbatch's Sherlock Holmes, to being one of a thousand all living in a hotel for the same weekend, that's a very special thing. We tend to think of a church as a place you go on Sunday in your town, but a, to a person whose religion is Harry Potter or Star Wars based, church may be that convention they get to once a year where they're surrounded by people who believe just what they believe and can talk to you about things and the deep meanings that are most important to you. Now, I could ramble on about fan culture all day, and that's part of the problem here I've had in putting together today's talk. There's far too many side roads I could wander down in talking about geeky subjects. We could talk about the relationship and sexual identity exploration that's done going on in fan fiction. We could talk about the changing interaction of fans and creators. We could talk about the internet's role in creating what might one day become geek churches as congregations form around podcast ministers. But before I go wandering down any of those side roads, and keep you here long past lunchtime, which is the breaking the cardinal rule of summer services. <laughs> I want to stop and really get into the very heart of what it is to be a fan or a geek. And for this, I'm going to touch on some words that run three prophets deep. A wise schoolmaster named Augustus Dumbledore once said something to his students that they didn't quite understand at the time. This is what he said. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Dumbledore, or the great lady that writes Dumbledore, if you want to add a creator layer, was quoting from a larger passage from the book of Matthew, and that passage reads like this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. That passage speaks of keeping your treasures in heaven. 
So let's stop for a minute and think about where heaven might be for some of us. If you really like Albus Dumbledore, your heaven might be in a school named Hogwarts. If you like Sherlock Holmes, your heaven might be in a space, place called Victorian London. Robin Hood, Sherwood Forest. Dorothy, the Land of Oz. Captain Sheridan, space station called Babylon 5. Wonder Woman, Paradise Island. There are a lot of heavens to choose from in geekdom. And what do we keep in those heavens? Treasures. The ideas and ways of living that we cherish. Moral codes. All those perfect thoughts that are just too beautiful to store here on Earth. Levels of kindness, generosity, goodness that are so hard to maintain in our everyday lives with all the little problems and troubles and things that vex us. This S I'm wearing on my chest today. It stands for a level of social action I will never come close to attaining. The thing this S stands for is huge. It's not about being bulletproof or rocketing through the skies. It's about being there when people need you. Showing up at just the right moment and making things better. That's an enormous ideal. It's an ideal so big, even the one guy who epitomizes it sometimes has a hard time living up to it. And as much as any of us might want to believe in an ideal like that with all our hearts, we may not be able to completely live up to it in this world on the streets of this city. And that could be very disillusioning, really, if you just tried to keep that in the real world. But I can keep Superman in a special heaven called Metropolis. And there, where the moths and rust and thieves can't get him, he can be my treasure and inspire me here on Earth. For running a school of magic, August Dumbledore was you-you enough to know a good Bible quote when he heard it. And that's where he got, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what do you treasure? Where do you keep your heart? Is it something a little geeky? It doesn't have to be where anyone else tells you what it should be. And that is what I think the wonder of being a geek is. We know where our heavens are, and we build our geek churches where we want to, in the way we want to. Because geek church is as diverse as humanity itself. <laughs>